Hey guys, it's Whitney. I wanted to take some time to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com. They're a national private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities. They do this with private accredited investor funds. They have a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and control over $250 million in equity from their investors. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easier for you to start investing in real estate without all the hassles. They even have an average 62% repeat investor rate in each offering they put together. They even have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to fix and flippers locally and across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. To help you learn more, they have put together a free passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download the PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. This is your daily real estate syndication show, and I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. Our guest is Christopher Calandro. Thanks for being on the show, Christopher. Thank you so much for having me. I was so looking forward to this episode of your show. I've listened to several episodes and it's a great show. So um really excited to be on. Right. Well, I appreciate that, Christopher, and I appreciate you listening and being a guest. Yes. But Christopher is the founder and principal of Elliott Wealth Management Services, LLC, which has offices in Connecticut and Florida. He's a certified financial planner with over 26 years of experience helping entrepreneurs, retirees, and families achieve their financial goals and objectives. He has been involved in real estate investing for over 25 years and bought his first investment property at the age of 23. His portfolio includes single-family, multifamily, and commercial income-producing properties. His proficiencies include investing, remodeling, maintenance, and reselling. Christopher, thanks so much for being on the show. Will you give the listeners a little more about who you are and what your focus is right now? Sure. So I'm a certified financial planner, as you said. So my primary source of income and wealth building is my firm, Elliott Wealth Management Services, where we work with individuals, families, and small businesses, helping them win with money, especially on the investment planning and financial planning side. But my background in trying to accumulate wealth myself includes a lot of real estate endeavors, including building spec homes, I've done about 10 flips over the years, invested in commercial and residential real estate. So speaking to your audience, I think is really great because what I've learned over my 26-year career, Whitney, is that most people I've met that have accumulated wealth have at least a portion of that wealth in real estate. And I had wanted to talk to you and your listeners about seven wealth building rules for real estate investors. No, it's good. I know. And we were going to talk about, yeah, the seven keys for real estate investors to build wealth. And from your line of work, I mean, that's a great topic, right? I mean, because you are helping these individuals build this wealth and from so many different scenarios as well. So that I know that helps you to be extremely well, like versed and rounded just to 
all these different aspects that people are are in from, you know, they have so many different scenarios, right, that you're having to help them with. That's absolutely right. And what I think you'll find is a lot of financial advisors in the marketplace will kind of poo-poo the idea of investing in real estate because it's a little bit of competition. And I think that's very small-minded, but you do get that a lot, whereas I view real estate as part of someone's overall wealth building process. Not everybody wants to get involved in real estate and some people do, but they want to be passive. Other people are really anxious to swing a hammer. But again, most people that I've met that have accumulated wealth will have at least a portion of their wealth in real estate. So I think it's an important topic. It's also been important for my wife and I as we've built wealth over these many years is I have three legs to the stool, if you will, as I build wealth, there's the value in my business, Whitney, and then there's the value in my real estate investments. And I'll throw my home into that category as well. And then investments in your traditional markets, 401ks, IRAs, mutual funds, stocks, bonds, college funds, that kind of thing. And I found for me, the combination of the three is much stronger than if I had all my wealth in one of those three categories. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Just more diversification. Exactly. And at times you've spoken with lots of real estate investors. You know, there's times when you might be getting knocked around in real estate. You know, prices could go down you could have tenant related issues. You could have a project that's over budget. Any number of things can happen that might be negative, at least in the short term. But I have the two other portions of my wealth that might be behaving very differently at that moment. And I think over the long term, these multiple sources of income, multiple sources of wealth will lead to a better outcome for me as I move towards retirement, which is crazy to say I'm 48, but I start to think about that more and more now that I'm 48. Yeah. And that's something we have to prepare for, It is right? And, and hopefully sooner than later. And so, you know, let's go into some of those seven key things for real estate investors to know to build wealth. And loved it. can't wait to hear it from your perspective too, since you've seen so many different scenarios. So yeah. So seven wealth building rules for real estate investors. Step one is establish goals. And this is a cliche, if any of your listeners and you probably have listened to shows, read books, I mean, this is very basic, but it is so very important. I'm a big believer in you have to write down your goals and you have to have the ability to think both short term as well as mid and long term. So you want to establish your goals. That's number one. Number two is you need to get prepared. You need to be educated. You need to do your homework. And I think this applies to everything we just spoke about. So if you want to be a real estate investor and you're not now, if you want to put together a syndicate or be part of a syndicate, I think we could probably agree that you want to do your homework. You could end up in a bad situation. You could make a mistake. And knowledge is the great defender. So you want to do your homework and be prepared. One of, I think, the keys to my success in real estate as well as in business is I tend to prepare really well. And that doesn't mean I haven't had bad real estate deals because I have and not everything goes perfectly, but do your homework, get educated, know what you're doing, talk to people, read, attend seminars, go to workshops, be prepared. If you're investing in real estate it is not something that you will likely be able to do successfully unless you put in the time. 
So that's step two. How does that sound so far? Yeah, you got to put the time in, right? And no matter what endeavor it is, if you plan to be successful. Absolutely. And then number three is to develop a wealth building plan. And I think this is a very important part of my seven steps. And I think it's one that's kind of overlooked. So if we talk about real estate investing, have a wealth building plan, what you want to buy. Do you want to be part of a syndicate? Do you want to be the head of the syndicate or do you want to be a member of the syndicate? Or do you want to flip where you're actually at the property doing the demos and fixing up the property? Or would you do flips more like I did where I subcontracted that out and I had a partner that did a lot of the in the trenches work, but you have to have the plan that works for you based on your skills and have an end game. I think one of the things that I've experienced, Whitney, over the 26 years is lots of people think they want to get involved in something and they want to buy something or own real estate or buy an income producing property. But you often are going to be well served if you figure out what your end game is and to work backwards. Do you want to hold property long term or do you want to turn it in the relatively short period of time? Do you want to generate income? Do you want to be commercial or residential? But you want to develop a wealth building plan. Moving away from real estate, I think it's the same thing. If you're looking at investing for retirement, there are lots of vehicles that are available to you. You have 401ks, traditional IRAs, other IRAs, profit sharing plans. There's a whole variety of tools, if you will, vehicles that could help you fund future retirement needs. But you need to develop a plan on how you're going to fund them, how you're going to invest, how much you're going to put in, how much risk you're going to take. And this may sound kind of scary. I'm not trying to overwhelm your listeners. It's really not that complex. But you do want to develop a wealth building plan. I mentioned earlier, my wealth building plan is that three-pronged approach. I want to increase the value of my business. Number one, I want to increase the value and the performance of my real estate holdings. And then I want to manage my investments in traditional stocks and bonds very, very well so that I could drive good long-term performance. So that's step three. Great. Yeah, that makes sense. You're diversified and you're you're trying to nurture all three of those things to make sure they're all improving and increasing. Absolutely. Now, for some people, probably not your listeners, some people don't want to invest in real estate. Maybe they should. But some people don't want to do that. Other people don't have a small business like I do. So maybe they're focused on only one of the three or somebody else may have two of the three. So you could put together the combination, but you definitely want to develop a wealth building plan. A lot of what we do for our clients here at LA Wealth Management is to help them figure out what their wealth building plan is and then help them execute that where we can be helpful. Step number four is to build a team. In your recent episode, I think it was number 176 with um, with Vinny, he talked a little bit about that. You want to build your network because this is a team activity building wealth. And I know in the episode you did with Vinny, he talked about finding a partner in real estate. I think he also mentioned an attorney. I know recently you had an attorney on. She was, she was great. I can't remember her name. But... You want to build your network. That would include, I know I'm being self-serving, Whitney, but a certified financial planner is great to have on your team. I am great to have on your team. But then also real estate agents, inspectors, attorneys, and you may have one attorney for real estate matters, but you might have another attorney for other matters like will and estate planning, tradesmen, lenders, 
And one I don't think I heard mentioned on the show previously was to have a really good certified public accountant or a CPA. If you're investing in real estate, if you're building wealth, having a good CPA is also a key part of your team. You can't do it all. You can't know everything. So building a team helps you be prepared and helps minimize your mistakes and maximize good decision making. So that's step number four. How are we doing so far? We're doing good. We're doing good. I'm making some notes and we're going to come back to a few things. All right. Awesome. And then number five is to track your progress. Again, I think this is something that is very underutilized. I am a huge fan of keeping track of your worth on a net worth statement. In the business world, it's called a balance sheet. So there are ways you could do this technologically on your Apple phone. There's an app that even comes standard where you could keep track of your net worth. I personally do it a little old school on a spreadsheet. But basically what I do, Whitney, is I have listed all my assets. I have listed all my liabilities. And if I take my assets and I subtract from that my liabilities, that tells me what my net worth is. Because the way we're playing the game, the reason why people invest in a syndicate is to build wealth, to make money. Money is not the end all, the be all, but that's what we're pursuing is building wealth. So like any game, you want to keep track of your progress. And the way that you keep track, in my mind, is to keep track of your net worth statement. You could do it as infrequently as one year. I wouldn't suggest doing it less than that. I'm a tremendous geek, as you probably could tell after just a few minutes. So I keep track quarterly. And it doesn't take me much time because how often do the assets or the liabilities change? They don't change that much. It's all set up. And I run the numbers every quarter so that I know if I'm making good decisions, it'll be reflected in my increased wealth. And it also highlights that there's really only two levers that I could really pull. I could either increase my assets or decrease my liabilities. And once your liabilities get to zero, then there's only one lever you could really pull, and that is to increase your assets. The last thing I'll say about that, Whitney, is for, for geeks like me and for people that are trying to build wealth and are really out there entrepreneurially and focused on getting smarter and making good decisions and partnering, is it's tremendously motivating when I could look at my net worth statement and I could go back a number of years and see how my wealth has increased, how I have more assets, how I have less liabilities, and my net worth is growing. It may not be every single quarter, but it's tremendously motivating to see it unfold as I have a bigger and bigger net worth. We're on to number six, be diversified. My mantra has always been, I never wanted to do anything, whether it was in my business or in my investing or in my real estate investing. I never wanted to do anything that I would blow myself up. Now that's my own terminology. I never wanted to try and take down something that I could possibly choke on. Step number seven is be careful with that. What is Agent Ignite? Are you wondering how you can make more money and create a competitive advantage for yourself and your clients in this ever-competitive real estate industry? Agent Ignite is the key to furthering your knowledge, establishing your expertise, and positioning yourself as a go-to expert. They deliver new and relevant knowledge so you can expand your clientele, close more deals, and ultimately increase income. Each month features a new guest speaker who will deliver on what is most relevant for your business. 
As a member of DMAR's Market Trends Committee, an avid champion for building wealth through real estate, and a self-proclaimed data geek, Nicole will share market trends and commentary that will add value to you and your clients. Staying up to date on industry statistics coupled with niche topics delivered by industry experts will help you motivate your buyers and sellers and make you more money. Sign up for the next Agent Ignite session at theruthteam.com slash events. That's T-H-E-R-U-E-T-H team.com forward slash events. Our guest is Jason Harris. Thanks for being on the show, Jason. Hey, thanks so much, Whitney. Glad to be here. What about the CapEx plan? Like, how did you budget for that? But then also, you know, I'd love to hear a little more about the financing too. How you, I mean, it's so creative. You, you were able to get both of those properties under the same loan. You did a, you did a bridge loan. Maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit for the listener that hasn't heard of that before and, and what that means, why that was important, even to get the CapEx dollars in there as well. Awesome. Yeah, there's a few things about this that are really helpful, I think, for investors. One thing when it comes to CapEx, it's all about ROI and which one, where can I put this money that would give us the best return on investment? So the way I approach and look at it is if I add storage units to this facility, how much additional rent income and profit could I make by putting those in and what would be the cost? And so hypothetically, let's just say it would be $1,000 per unit or 28 grand on a 28 unit like this, the tenants would be willing to pay $50 a month. That would be $600 a year per unit. And so if you take $600 and divide it by a thousand, which it would cost me, that's a 60% ROI. How many people, Whitney, would like to get a 60% ROI on their money each year? So that's a pretty good return. Well, the other way to go about it is if I renovate an interior unit, and let's just say it costs me $10,000 to make a really nice renovation and improvement, what would the ROI on something like that look like? And so $10,000 would possibly get me a $10.50 a month rent rate. $10.50 from the $700 is a pretty nice pop of $350 more per unit. So times that by 12, that's $4,200 a year divided by 10,000. That's a 42% ROI. However, you have to have down period where you're not collecting any rent. And so if it takes four weeks perhaps to totally renovate it, and then another week or two to get it filled, that's six weeks without any income coming in at all. And so you take that away, which uh, let's just call it $1,000. Really, it's $4,200 minus $1,000. So 3200 a year more divided by 10 grand. That's a 32% ROI. And so as you look at these different profit centers, Whitney, which one works best first as far as how to spend the money? So for me, the storage units was a good opportunity. I have no downtime of not collecting rents inside, but it's a value add to the tenants that I know that they'll pay for. So that's how I really process it is what will give me the biggest return on my money first and then work it down the list from the highest profit return because I could do all of them. I just may want to start with the best ones first. And so typically I find exterior improvements are a great way to get the best return because I don't have any downtime of the units not being able to collect rent. It immediately improves the curb appeal and aesthetics of the tenant's home that they're willing to pay more for. So that after, say, 30 days to 45 days of those improvements having been done, 
I can go back and say we have new owners and new management in order to improve this asset in a way to make your home nicer. We are going to have to get market rate rents. And uh, with that will come further improvements that we're doing. And I'll list those out. But in order to do so, we need to get the get these units closer to market rate rent, which we found to be. And uh, usually that conversation goes a lot better because they see the new owners coming in and already doing a lot to make their home a nicer place. And and tenants sometimes thank you for it. They say they knew that their rent was low. Obviously, you get some that are pretty upset, but more times than not, uh, we're able to have those conversations. And they may start out saying that they're going to leave. However, when they start shopping and trying to find something else, they realize we really are asking about what's market. They realize how much cost it would be in order to move. And they realize these new owners really do care and are trying to do good by us. And so they decide to stay. And so I think we did pretty well. Had I had too many leave, we may have asked too much. Had I had no one leave, I didn't ask enough. And so getting five to seven, I think was right around where we would have wanted it to be so that we could take the additional capex from the lender to go in and have our team improve those units to see what the higher end of the market rate rent could be at that 1050 number that we filled them with. And so that was one answer to your question. I guess the other one, the bridge loan, why I like it so much is they vet the deal for the exit of what you believe the stable rent rates will be after you make the improvements and you give them your business plan of what you plan to do and uh, what you expect that timeframe to be. And so this bridge loan was an 80% leverage option where we only had to put 20% down. And furthermore, because the lender paid our closing cost, we really only had to put 20% down. And so it was about 540,000 plus some change. I think it was about 550 overall. Maybe that had to do a little bit with some of our due diligence cost. But the partner put up the 550000 I didn't put a dime into it with the expectation that he gets all of his money back before we split the equity and cash flow 50-50. And I told him my expectation was to be able to do that in 18 months, even though it was a two-year bridge loan. And so uh, we're starting that. uh, In fact, actually, he's decided to sell. We're actually going to be selling it instead of uh, refinancing only because he wants to take our equity and go and do it again in a bigger project. So Nice. Will you all 1031? In this case, yes, we will. We got to justify long-term intent, which I think that we can. So yes. Any other ways that uh, you've been creative about tax sheltering? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. As a previous financial advisor, I uh, studied the wealthy often and learned to see different things that they were doing and uh, had an opportunity to sit in on some pretty advanced tax strategy sessions with some of the affluent families that we represented. And one thing I learned, Whitney, is that the wealthy don't invest in real estate specifically for cash flow alone, which was my main driver. I thought many was, was their primary reason for investing in real estate. But the number one reason I find that the wealthy invest in real estate is the tax shelter benefits. And so this gentleman who I partnered with on this Ogden deal, for example, he actually uh, had sold a business for a significant amount. And with that came a hefty tax penalty, obviously. And so what I'm finding, Whitney, is that if you're a real estate professional, instead of a passive real estate professional, active versus passive on your tax transcript, you can actually take depreciation loss 
from your real estate you own and use that depreciation against all income sources, not just passive income alone. And so most people who I talk to are using depreciation on the straight line method to shelter their cash flow from their real estate and whatever they don't use, it carries forward to the future years. However, in the 2018 Trump tax law, bonus depreciation came into play and allows someone to accelerate the depreciation to get a significantly bigger benefit. On this $2.7 million transaction, we're looking at a a little over a million dollars in the first year of of purchasing it to take that million dollars against all income. And so my partner on his percentage is taking his piece and using it to shelter some of the income he made from the sale of his business. And that money's now uh, more than $100,000. Well, no, for his, it's about $235,000 tax refund that he's now able to go back and claim. And obviously, if you look at that return, just on his 550 that he put up for this, uh, you know, that's already 45% before you even look at cash flow appreciation and principal reduction of the loan. So he will see probably a triple digit return just in one year with the way we're structuring it. And obviously my return with not having any money tied into it is also quite significant. So it's really just my time I'm exchanging. That's an awesome opportunity. It looks like you've put yourself into, Jason. None of that happens by accident, I don't think. You're definitely very intelligent and have studied this and, and have done very well on this deal, and I'm sure others also. You know, Tell me, though, Jason, what's been the, the hardest part of this syndication journey for you? I think the hardest part for most people is capital raising. Deal finding is also right there, so it's hard to say which is which. I think, though, putting in the effort and time to find a deal, knowing there's capital to back it, that's, that's obviously a really hard thing to do. So that's, that's what I'm going to stick with, I guess. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day. 